The legends are true. But overwhelming power! The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Wickdonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece Nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at Wickdonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! And participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Back with Vershawn Jackson on 93.7 The Ticket and theticketfm.com. That's right. It's the captain, the ticket, 93.7. We're talking to Coach Osborne. Um, Coach, of all the 255 wins you won, what's the most memorable game? <laughs> well, you know, it's kind of odd. I've heard other – I'm hearing Woody Hayes saying – he didn't remember the wins, but he remembered every loss, and 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 that's true. You know, it's it's sad, but I would say um, one of the one of the most memorable was 1978. You know, we'd uh, we lost to Oklahoma five straight years. The first five years I was the head coach, and that was not popular with fans, and it had kind of become a one-game season. You know, we could win ten games or whatever and and do pretty well and even be ranked in the top 10 but if we didn't beat Oklahoma it was a bad year and uh, so people were getting pretty impatient and uh, they came up here they were rated number one in the country and uh, we beat them 17-14 and uh, they I remember it was a, it was a strange game we went ahead kicked off to them and a guy named John Rood, Tom Rood's brother, went down on a kickoff, and he hit Kelly Phelps, who had the ball, about the 15-yard line, and knocked the ball loose. It was one of the hardest hits I've ever seen. Mm. <laughs> Kelly Phelps went over backwards so fast that the referee literally did not see the ball come out. And they ruled him down, and we recovered the ball about the 10 or 12-yard line, and the game was over because there, there was only five, six minutes left. Instead, they gave Oklahoma the ball, and Oklahoma starts driving down the field. And and uh, at about the five-yard line, Billy Sims had the ball, and uh, one of our safeties hit Billy, knocked the ball loose, and Jim Pillen recovered it at nice. the three-yard line. Yeah. And uh, we had about two minutes left, and we drove the ball out to the 50-yard line, held on to it, and won it. And all of a sudden... 
we were a lot smarter coaches. And But the, the strange thing was it took so much out of our team. I mean, it was the hardest hitting game I'd ever been around. And we knocked the ball loose a lot of times that day. And our players were exhausted. And the next week, Missouri comes up here. And we probably were a better team than Missouri, but they beat us. Mm. And it was a close game, and they beat us. And so then <laughs> I go in the locker room, and it's the Orange Bowl calling. And they said, well, now we're going to have you play Oklahoma again <laughs> in the Orange Bowl. And so we went from kind of being up here to going back. And we out-yarded Oklahoma by almost 200 yards. We had a couple turnovers, and they beat us by three or four points down there. So it kind of ended up being a, a really good thing and then a negative thing. But at least we won the game. And from that game on, we more than held our own against Oklahoma. I mean, we, we lost some, but we won most of them. And, uh, and then things went well. But So that game was a big game. And probably beating Miami down there in 94 and winning the national championship was a big game because uh, I don't think people realize it, but I think Oklahoma or Miami had won 69 out of 70 home games over a period of 10 or 12 years. And, and uh, I remember Howard Schnellenberger telling me, he said, you know, I think playing a northern team down here with the humidity in uh, January probably gives us about a 10-point advantage. <laughs> and, I, and I would say that's probably true, you know, yeah. if you just looked at the history book. And so it was a little bit of an uphill climb because that was their home field, you know. And uh, we ended up playing down there in their home field about four times. So anyway, that was a big game too. So, but, uh, you know, uh, the, the main thing is probably not the individual games. It's more the journey. It's more the relationship and the players and, uh, you know, our relationship. I know you have thought a lot of you over the years, and and there's no, never a week that goes by that I don't hear from some former players. And and so those that's probably the most satisfying thing about coaching is just, just the relationships and seeing guys uh, uh, move on with their lives and probably 95% of them doing some really good things. And... Uh, and uh, some that maybe didn't do so well, uh, getting their life in order and uh, and really making a great contribution now. And and those are, are really interesting and and satisfying things to see as well. When you why was the OU rivalry so fierce? What when did it? I mean, I get it, but when did it? No, I don't get it. I know what it felt like when I played, but when did that rivalry start? Why is it so fierce? Well, I think in the, in the old Big 8 conference, there were, I believe, out of 30, 30 consecutive years, something like 30 years, the winner of that game, uh, 29 times the winner of that game uh, was the conference championship, either won or shared it. And quite often, that game had some national championship implications. If, if you won it, you at least were in the hunt for a national championship. So I think that, but but the thing that was interesting about the Oklahoma situation was that it was always a fairly healthy rivalry. You know, if you went down there, uh, you weren't gonna get booed, you weren't gonna have people throw stuff at you in the same way Oklahoma here. There was a 
fair amount of mutual respect because uh, Oklahoma represented excellence and I think to the Oklahoma people, Nebraska represented a certain level of, of excellence as well. And you know, over, I don't know if you're aware of this, but over a 42 year period from 1962 when Bob Devaney came to 2003 when Frank Solich left, Nebraska won 82% of our games. And the next team in winning percentage was Ohio State at 75%. We won about uh, 60 more games than any other team during that period. So, What do you, you think know, that was a test to, though? What, what, what did you do? How were we able to win that much like that? I mean... Well, I think looking back on it now, when you realize this is a sparsely populated state, you know, you don't have as many athletes within within 100 miles or 200 miles as you do at, at Alabama or Florida State or Ohio State and so on. Uh, it took a kind of a confluence of things. We had a really good academic program here. Graduation rate was very high. Boyd Epley and the strength program uh, maximized what we were doing. And we had a lot of continuity in our coaching staff. You know, a lot of those coaches were here for 18, 19, 20 years. And, uh, and so we had a pretty good institutional memory of if somebody showed us something defensively that we hadn't anticipated the first series, we'd go back seven years and say, well, Kansas did the same thing to us. Yeah. And this is how we attacked it. And, and so uh, having, having that continuity was helpful. And then um, I just think uh, over time, players developed uh, an attitude of certain amount of con confidence and willingness to sacrifice. And, and we always were very physical football teams and took pride in that. And I think that, that all helped. So, um, but there's really no reason if you look at the mathematics of the, the numbers of people, geographical location, uh, necessarily why that should have happened, but it did. And, uh, and so people get used to winning and, and, uh, and they never quite get really used to losing. And, uh, and, but I think the other thing that really fed into that was the fans because if you think about the Iowa game this year, and we're going to that game, three wins, eight losses, and everybody was here. 86,000 were there, and they were into the game. And um, and I would say most places in the country, you would have had a half-full stadium mm. uh, at the end of the year. Uh, and uh, so the, the fan base, there's no question, that, that has been a huge asset to Nebraska over the years. But that developed over time, because when Bob Devaney first came here, there were 35,000 seats and the first few games, those seats weren't full. Mm -hmm. But by the end of 1962, they were full. And then we added on the stadium and, and the fan base really began to develop, but it took time to do it. Coach, we, we would have practice and, and we'd go after it pretty good. But after practice, m the majority of the time, if it was Monday, Tuesday, or Wednesday, we were running gassers. 
where'd you pick up that philosophy? And, and, and a lot of times we thought we had done a great job at running and get doing stuff at practice real hard, but you still had us run gassers. Why was that? Well, you you mentioned earlier trying to be the strongest team in the fourth quarter. And Vince Lombardi one time said, he said, fatigue makes cowards of us all. And, you know, when uh, when your legs are dead and when your lungs are hurting, you can't do the heroic thing. You can't pursue sideline to sideline or block downfield. And so we wanted to be better conditioned. And uh, part of it was, it was a weight program and part of it was the way we ran practice. You may remember that we had four stations. We had two offensive stations, two defensive stations. And so we ran, the first offense ran 90 to 100 snaps, and the second offense ran 90 to 100 snaps. So there wasn't much drop-off between the first and the second team. And sometimes when we were way ahead in the fourth quarter, we'd put our second or third team in, and uh, those guys would, would operate really well. And... But it developed depth, and so if somebody got hurt, we could have somebody step in and and really become a good player and not not drop off much. So that that, that philosophy that you talk about when you say creating depth is not necessarily there right now. But but how did you create that depth? How did that? Because I can remember thinking when I was playing fullback, holy smoke! This Corey Schlesinger is a long way away from me. I got, a, I got five or six guys I got to go through to get to Corey. Not to say that I was a bad player, but why did guys want to come to Nebraska knowing that you had to work for it? Well, I, I think a lot of it was the uh, walk-on players um, because um, uh, a lot of players, particularly in this state, would, uh, would forego a scholarship someplace to come here and walk on. And part of it was because we treated them like we treated everybody else. We cared about them. We cared about their education. We cared about their physical health. Cared about them as people. And we always saved three or four scholarships every year for any walk-on that became a first or second team on the depth chart. And uh, and so uh, I think as as time went on, I remember talking to Doug Coleman one time. I was sitting by him on an airplane. Doug was a highly recruited player from New Jersey, later played in the NFL. And he said, you know, the thing that really impacted me was uh, I began to see those walk-on players and how hard they would work and the kind of effort they'd put out. And he said that began to impact guys like me who were heavily recruited and came from other parts of the country. And because we began to realize that if we didn't really bore an X and play hard, Somebody's going to take our place, mm. and it's going to be one of those walk-on guys, and uh, and so I think the uh, the walk-on thing really became something that was a real advantage for us. Now, lots of places have walk-ons. But I remember there was one school I heard of where the uh, the practice field was like a mile away from where they dressed, mm. so they always had a bus, and all those scholarship players would ride the bus down to the practice field, and the walk-on players walked oh, the mile down <laughs> and walked the mile back. <laughs> and, and they were treated like second-class citizens. That would never have happened here. You know, we, we try to treat, and I think most, for the most part, a lot of players didn't know who was a scholarship player who was a walk-on. I mm -hmm. mean, they're just players, and they're all 
treated pretty much the same. When you when you think about uh, you know you talk scholarship players recruiting Nebraska, it seemed like you always put a fence around Nebraska and said I'm going to get the best guys from Nebraska first. Is that was that your philosophy? Yeah, we we always felt that we would identify the players that we thought had a chance to be good major college players. They may not be, I guess, in the today's rating system. They wouldn't be four-star or five-star. Once in a while there would be. But they might be two or three stars or maybe even one star. But if we felt they had a good chance, we'd give them scholarships and we'd give them scholarships immediately. Mm-hmm. And most of those guys would uh, end up committing pretty quickly. And uh, I remember I, I went through the, the roster the last six, seven years I was a head coach. And... Um, we averaged six Nebraska scholarship players a year. And uh, it was kind of interesting because 72% of those guys started for us. Wow. And if you looked at the average, the average of guys from all the places around the country, and some of them were highly recruited, only 50% of those guys started for us. So we got a better return on investment mm. from Nebraska players even though they probably weren't as highly rated than some of the players from a distance. Because if you're really loyal and your family can watch you play and you've grown up watching a school since you were a little kid, uh, you're probably going to put a little more into it. And uh, now with the transfer portal, I mean, it's brutal because uh, players don't see them, see themselves starting right away. Mm-hmm. Or within two years, they're, they're gone. And so it's a we have a difficult situation now because you have uh, unlimited free agency, mm-hmm. uh, and in the NFL you don't have unlimited free agency because you have a contract and you're going to be around, and uh, yet in in college there's no contract, so every player can leave on a moment's notice, and uh, so it's really become very difficult to coach. And now the NIL. Uh, theoretically, yeah, you don't. Have, the NFL teams have a salary cap. There's no salary cap on no. NIL. So, right. so uh, there's one team that's rumored to have paid 22 million dollars in NIL money to the so-called best recruiting class in the country. I don't know if that's true or not. Texas A&M. Yeah, A&M. Mm-hmm. And uh, I mean, that's what people are saying. So anyway. Yeah, well, well, Coach, you know, let, let, do you think we could have handled, in my day, the NIL? <laughs> well, I, I, would, I don't think, Rashawn, I don't know what we'd have done with you if you had been driving around with a million dollars in your pocket. Yeah. I say that all the time. There's no way that the NIL would have worked back then. It's just <laughs> no. not. You give a kid that ain't never had anything that came from, you know, where we came from, and then you say, okay, here, here, son, here's a hundred thousand. Yeah. Y- your focus is off. Yeah. You know how how do they, how can they keep them focused in this mar- in this day of nil? I I really don't know. I, it's uh, it's got to be one of the most difficult coaching situations I've ever seen, yeah. and and I personally I feel that somehow they're probably going to have to make some changes, and uh, I understand 
that coaches get paid a lot of money now, and coaches can leave, and they do. And they th people say, well, why shouldn't players do the same thing? Mm. But uh, at least, like I said, in the, in the NFL, you at least have a contract to determine that these people are going to be back, and you know that. And you have a salary cap where it's not just unlimited, where one guy, like maybe the quarterback at Oklahoma, is now part owner of three different businesses. <laughs> and so he may be sitting on a board of three different boards and say, well, I, I can't go to practice today. I got a board meeting. So how do you do that? <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm just wondering. And I, and I think that the transfer portal is – I don't think it's good for football because, it, to me, it, it's a breeding ground for quitting. Mm -hmm. It just gives you a, a way out. Was there a time in my in my career that I wanted to quit Nebraska? Yeah, but I had other guys that I could go to and say, "Hey, man, I'm I'm thinking about quitting." Every single one of them, Cluster Johnson to be one of them, talked me and said, "That ain't what you want to do. You mm -hmm. want to finish what you started. It's not where you start; it's where you finish." And so, I just think that the portal and the and, and, and coach, you always tried to get us everything you could within within power far as monies goes but i think this is just unprecedented and i think if you if you put a pool together for all of the guys i think it's better than just having one guy with a million dollars i just don't think yeah. i don't think it's good for football yeah not college football well let's let's make sure we put some context to what you just said when you said <laughs> you just did everything you could to get money for us uh what we did was we got you a job and right and which was legal and uh if you're eligible for a Pell Grant, we want to make sure you well, got Pell Grant. But that's what I'm talking about. I'm yeah. talking about the, the small yeah. stuff. You, yeah. not, not that you were, no, you know. We were, <laughs> not no. it was payola back then. No, no there was no nothing outside of the NCAA rules. Right. And, uh, no, but, uh, yeah, it, it is a difficult road to walk right now. And I, it's it's got to be hard for coaches. and it's, But I think you find that most players – who have transferred and moved around, probably, not, not all of them, but there's some of them would say, you know, I probably would have been better off staying where I started out because the grass is not always greener on that. And, and I think you've got a lot, of, a lot of teams now that are approaching players. Once you put your name in the transfer portal, you've got all kinds of schools calling you and street agents coming, calling, mm -hmm. coming at you and saying, you know, we can get you this, we can do this for you. And uh, and it gets to be um, kind of an, an auction block, which is um, probably not real healthy. Yeah, I agree with you 100% on that one, Coach. Uh, 94, 95, 97. We're going to take a quick break because it's the top of the hour. But of those three teams, which team not, – I'm not going to say favorite, but which team gave you the most excited you about football? More of Coach Osborne, the ticket, 93.7, the captain. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun? Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. -ba -ba.